I took two steps into the road and then my legs collapsed from underneath me and I was completely paralysed down the one side, down the left-hand side. What had happened was that an artery had burst in my brain. But the road in which I collapsed was the one in Tamworth, where I live, where all the bus stops are. And as I collapsed, there was a bus pulled out of a bus stop just about 20 yards down the road from where I'd collapsed. I'm completely convinced that it was stress because what actually happened was that two weeks before I had the stroke, I had been told that the freelance contract I was working under editing the magazine was being terminated. And I was told that fact in a two-minute phone call at seven o'clock on a Sunday night. I like to think I'm a reasonably resilient person and that I can sort of try and look forward to the future in a, a reasonably positive way. But it meant that I was retired from my career as a journalist at the age of 49. And that hadn't been in the game plan for pretty much all of my life, obviously. So it was difficult to deal with. Martin very nearly wasn't here. And in fact, Martin was within a couple of feet of being crushed by a bus. So that's the way I have to look at it. I might not be the Martin that I was. I will never be the Martin that I was. But I'm here and I'm still fighting. And that's a damn sight better than the, the alternative, which is being dead. Hello, this is Stroke Stories. I'm Mark Goodyear. In 2015, the Stroke Association reported one in five stroke survivors found the emotional impact of their stroke hard to deal with. That emotional fallout can cause issues with relationships, with 42% reporting a negative impact on their relationship with their partner and a quarter of people finding that their stroke had a negative impact on their family as a whole. And lots of people find that as they recover, there aren't enough resources to help them. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this podcast, we're off to Birmingham to hear from Martin Warrillow, who suffered a stroke at the age of 49. Well, I was a freelance journalist for five years. Before that, I'd been a journalist working for what I call big journalism, which is the major local regional papers. But I got made redundant in 2009, and then I started out as freelance, because everyone can be a freelance, can't they? And I did five years doing that, and the way that ended was what caused my stroke. I was crossing the road, and I took two steps into the road, and I'd done all the, the green cross code thing, being a child of the 1970s. I'd look left, I'd look right, I made sure the road was clear, and it was. And I took two steps into the road, and then my legs collapsed from underneath me. And I was completely paralysed down the one side, down the left-hand side. What had happened was that an artery had burst in my brain. But the road in which I collapsed was the one in Tamworth, where I live, where all the bus stops are. And as I collapsed, there was a bus pulled out of a bus stop just about 20 yards down the road from where I'd collapsed. And he came down the road and missed me by a couple of feet. And I can vividly remember lying under the wheel arch of the bus as it went past. I managed to crawl across the road with the one arm that was working, and uh, I got to the other side of the road and clung on to a lamppost. And as I was clinging to the lamppost, I did a lot of business networking at the time, and I still do. And I knew a lady who owned a creative design shop in the street, 
just next door to where that lamppost was. And she came back from her lunch hour and she saw me lying next to this lamppost and she said, are you all right? And I thought, well, do I look all right? I've got a, I've just had a massive headache. I've just collapsed in the middle of the road. I'm completely paralysed down on one side. No, of course I'm not all right. But I actually said, I need some help. So she dragged me into her shop, called 999. There was a paramedic there within two minutes and I was blue-lighted off to our local hospital. Martin thinks the personal situation he found himself in towards the end of 2013 was the cause of his stroke. I'm completely convinced that it was stress because what actually happened was that two weeks before I had the stroke, I had been told that the freelance contract I was working under editing the magazine was being terminated. And I was told that fact in a two-minute phone call at seven o'clock on a Sunday night. And any HR person you would ever speak to would tell you that you don't terminate people in a two-minute phone call at seven o'clock on a Sunday night a month before Christmas. And in those two weeks between then and the stroke, I panicked massively because i just lost nearly 90 percent of my income it's a month before christmas you get questions like well what am i going to tell the missus who's going to pay the mortgage how are we going to pay the bills how are we going to survive what's the future things like that and i was putting myself under ridiculous amounts of pressure to try and get work and it just wasn't happening and i remember on the friday before i had the stroke i did three separate networking meetings in one morning in different parts of the West Midlands looking for work and got nowhere. And obviously I was putting myself under the kind of intolerable pressure that the human brain just wasn't designed to cope with. I was in hospital for exactly four weeks over Christmas. For the first two weeks I was completely paralysed down to one side and then the paralysis slowly drifted away so that I had to learn then how to walk and talk again because I was in a position where... I couldn't walk without a, without a wheelchair. I, could, I, I couldn't walk without a, a Zimmer frame. I'd virtually lost the power of speech down on one side, but that then did come back slowly. But I had to go through an enormous amount of physiotherapy at the hospital while I was in there for a month. They did have a speech therapist at the hospital who helped, but it was mainly movement physiotherapy, you know, climbing up and down steps and holding things in your hand and just manoeuvring your, your hand and manoeuvring my arm and you know, things like that, just to sort of get the muscles back up and, and working again. After a tough few months, Martin was struggling emotionally. I like to think I'm a reasonably resilient person and that I can sort of try and look forward to the future in a, a reasonably positive way. But it meant that I was retired from my career as a journalist at the age of 49. And that hadn't been in the game plan for pretty much all of my life, obviously. So it was difficult to deal with. And I had to be put under the care of a neuropsychologist pretty quickly after I came out of hospital because the occupational therapists I was dealing with were very worried about the way that I wasn't dealing with the mental aspects of being a stroke survivor, like what does the rest of my life hold? How are we going to earn money? How am I going to be able to sort of live a reasonably normal life for what I perceived was going to be another 40 years at least? The light bulb moment is when you realise that that bus hasn't hit you, the stroke hasn't killed you, and you realise that you're still here, 
and that's a damn sight more better than the equivalent than the other way it could be, which is not being here. I'm now one of those people who gets up every morning and thinks, well, at least I'm alive. It's one of my stock conversation starters at networking meetings now or when I see people is my, my stock answer to the question of how are you is, well, I'm here. I did go through a period of, well, why me? But I've quickly learned over the years that there's absolutely no point in saying why me and being bitter about it because it happened. It could have happened to anybody. It just happened to me. I can't look at the reasons and say, well, what did I do that was wrong? What could I have done to prevent this happening? The fact is it's happened now and I've got to live with it and I've got to go on with the rest of my life. But despite Martin's difficulties coming to terms with his stroke, help was on hand. I was directed very quickly towards the Stroke Association and another couple of stroke charities and brain injury charities that have support groups in our area who were very good in giving my wife support as well as giving me support because living with a stroke survivor can be horrendously difficult because we are not and we never will be the same person that we were before we had the stroke. I mean, me, me for instance, I'm very prone to mood swings. I'm very prone to anger. I suddenly can change from one way to the other very, very quickly. I get massive fatigue issues at times. And if your carer isn't prepared for that, then it can be absolutely devastating. I mean, I, I remember seeing a statistic that 42% of stroke survivors have experienced some form of negative effect on their relationship with their partner after the stroke. I find them very useful in that you can talk to people who have undergone similar, if not exactly the same, experiences. I find it very, very therapeutic is perhaps the word to be able to sit into in a room with 20 other people who have all had strokes or brain injuries and talk about what I'm feeling, what my way of life now is and not compare it with but discuss it in terms of what they're feeling. It's very good to be able to sit in a room and realise that you know, I'm not the only person that's going through this because one of the first reactions that you have after a stroke is, well, nobody else has ever undergone anything like this. How am I going to live? Martin wanted to help other stroke survivors, so he set up a blog and a podcast. I'd been a journalist for nearly 30 years before the stroke and I wanted to use my skill set to do something positive, to turn a negative into a positive. And I was medically retired pretty quickly after the, the stroke because of the fatigue, because of the cognitive issues, because of the memory loss, all that stuff. And I decided to do something positive and I decided to write ever since I've been able to one finger type. I use it as a means of being therapeutic for me, but also as a resource to help other people who might be going through the same experiences you know, to give them sort of something to think, oh, well, there is actually somebody else who's going through this kind of thing. The blog is on my website, which is at www.askthewarrior.com. And the podcast, which I've been doing for just over a year now, is called The Warrior Podcast, and it's on iTunes. There are 100,000 strokes a year in this country, which is one every five minutes. And it's, it's going up. I mean, the, the Stroke Association has recently done some statistics 
which suggests that it's likely to be around 150,000 within five or ten years. And that increase is almost exclusively due to the far more stressful lives that we are leading these days, the stress that we are putting ourselves under in our work life in particular, but also in our home lives. And this is going to be an increasing problem. And the more people know about it and understand it, the better. The circumstances surrounding Martin's stroke meant that he wasn't able to get back to work once he'd recovered, but found a new outlet in his blog and Survivors podcast. Still to come on this episode of Stroke Stories, Martin talks about one of his biggest post-stroke achievements. I decided to raise money for one of the stroke charities that I support, to raise money for them, and I decided to do a five-kilometre run. And I said to myself, well, it doesn't matter if I finish last by three hours. I just want to do it and I want to raise money for this charity. And he talks about the role that his closest friends played in his recuperation. The support I got from my friends in in terms of even just sort of picking the phone up and saying, are you all right? Is there anything we can do? Looking out for me, making sure I wasn't overexerting myself just things like that, just just being there and, and giving me a sense that I, that I wasn't on my own, I wasn't fighting this on my own. Let's hear about a crucial milestone that Martin reached during his recovery. I remember walking across the car park near where I live with the Zimmer frame. It's only like 15, 20 yards, but that was an enormous achievement to be able to sort of move my legs in such a way that I could actually walk properly and walk 15 yards. That was one of the biggest achievements that I can remember. One of the most ridiculous things that I decided to do, I decided to raise money for one of the stroke charities that I support, to raise money for them, and I decided to do a five-kilometre run. And I said to myself, well, it doesn't matter if I finish last by three hours, I just want to do it and I want to raise money for this charity. I started talking to a physiotherapist and sports trainer who could help me and she got me running again to a degree and I actually did complete that run in September of 2016 and I raised, I I came last of about 130 runners by at least half an hour but I raised 1500 quid for the charity and that was what was important for me i stumbled i staggered i walked i ran a bit of it but at least i did it that was the achievement for me the sense of achievement that i felt when i got over the line was just enormous because i'd actually achieved something to raise money for the charity as well although martin has made great strides the after effects of his stroke continued to affect his relationship with his partner. My family is my wife. My father, who is now dead, unfortunately, lived in Spain. And so he was only in the country three or four times a year. But my wife really found it difficult to deal with because it was that thing earlier about, you know, I'm not the person I was and I never will be. I'm far more prone to mood swings, to anger, I I don't do noise anymore. I've got an extreme hypersensitivity to to noise. What my neuropsychologist calls overstimulated environments, by which he means loud pubs at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, are not the kind of place that I need to be. 
and she's found that very difficult to deal with because it's meant that she's had to change her life in so many ways. She has to now look out for me and, you know, she knows that I can't deal with screaming children. So if there are screaming children anywhere near where we're going to be, she has to move or she has to find another place for us to go and sit because I'm not going to react well. And as I said earlier, I do a lot of business networking and those rooms can sometimes be quite noisy if there are 20, 30 people, you know, all having conversations in the same room. I have to go and sit somewhere on the periphery of that so that I can actually concentrate on what I'm doing because I, I find it so difficult to concentrate on more more than one thing at the moment. And that's been really hard for her. I've had an enormous amount of support from my friends. I really have. I don't believe I would have got through the first six months after the stroke had it not been for the enormous amount of support I got from my friends in, in terms of even just sort of picking the phone up and saying, are you all right? Is there anything we can do? Looking out for me, making sure I wasn't overexerting myself, just things like that, just just being there and, and giving me a sense that I, that I wasn't on my own. I wasn't fighting this on my own. I'd got loads and loads of people who I could turn to if I did have a bad day or I did need some help, then they would be able to help me. So I've, I've found that it's really changed the way people look at me in a, in a positive way. And, and now I'm very much viewed within my circle of friends as The Warrior. The podcast is Ask The Warrior. The blog is Ask The Warrior. And it's that fighting spirit. And the people that I, I'm involved with now, they see me as projecting that fighting spirit. Martin is still here, and that's the important thing, because Martin very nearly wasn't here. and In fact, Martin was within a couple of feet of being crushed by a bus. So that's the way I have to look at it. I might not be the Martin that I was, but I'm here, and I'm still fighting, and that's a damn sight better than the, the alternative, which is being dead. After everything that Martin's been through, he's decided not to worry too much about the future i don't make plans plans are just get through today and worry about tomorrow when it comes because you just never know what's going to happen i mean i i talk a a vast amount about the life-changing event that will always happen to somebody else well i'm living proof that the life-changing event that will always happen to somebody else might actually happen to you so therefore there is no point in me making plans for the future there is a slight possibility that I will have another stroke and if I do have another stroke there is a possibility that it could well kill me so what's the point in making plans other than just get through today finally here's Martin's advice for stroke survivors and their loved ones the advice I would give to a carer or a friend or a loved one is be sympathetic understand that the person that you're living with who's had the stroke is not and will never be the person that they were. You'll want to tear your hair out with them at times, you'll get frustrated with them at times, but we're trying our best. We aren't deliberately trying to be awkward, we aren't deliberately swearing at you, it's just what I call our knackered brain. In terms of someone who has had a stroke, it's all about mindset. Surviving a stroke is all about mindset. If you go around with the woe is me attitude of, you know, why did this happen to me? It's not fair. It's ruined my life. Well, you're just not going to do yourself any favours. 
But if you go out with the attitude that, right, well, this has happened to me, I can try and do something positive with it, at least I'm still here, then I can look forward to the future, then you'll be doing yourself a favour. If you have a positive mindset, it helps your brain think in positive ways, and that's the way I look at it with, with me, certainly. Martin really does define the warrior spirit. His stroke proved to be an incredibly traumatic experience, and despite having to deal with several of the stroke's after-effects, he's determined to live his life, help others, and make a difference wherever he can. If you're listening to this podcast because you've had a stroke, or maybe somebody close to you has, and you'd like to learn more, search online for The Stroke Association. And for a dedicated webpage, search NHS Strokes. And as we always say, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, we'd be very grateful if you'd subscribe, rate and comment because that will help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. <laughs>